Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey everyone and welcome to the Boost Your Biology podcast. My name is Lucas and I'm the founder of Ergogenic Health. Together in this podcast series, we will go underground to explore cutting edge health and human performance insights that you simply cannot search on Google to help you upgrade your existence. So without any further ado, let's jump into today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Boost Your Biology podcast. Today's special guest is extremely passionate about optimizing health using a variety of natural modalities and practices. Joining me on the show is Lance Schuttler. Lance, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lucas. I'm very excited for this. It's been a long time in the works, and uh, you know we share a lot of similar passions and interests, so I know that's going to be a really good conversation for sure. Yeah, awesome. So Lance, maybe did you want to let my listeners know a little bit about your health journey? Um, how did you become so fascinated with optimizing human health? So, you know, when I was in high school and even younger, I was very active in sports, loved playing all the sports, especially football and baseball. And, um, you know, where I grew up, I had a lot of good friends. That's what we were doing. You know, we were outside all the time. The younger generation, you know, people our age definitely remember we weren't tied to our smartphones. We weren't tied to the te- to technology at, like we are right now. So we were outside doing things and, you know, stressing the body and the nervous system in, in beneficial ways. And um, sports really was the gateway for me to get into this, but it didn't happen really till I got to college. And I did lift and, you know, we again, played all sports throughout high school, but once I hit college, it sort of took it to another level. I actually had a very fortunate situation happen where one of my roommates at the time was a bodybuilder and he really instilled a lot of different principles into my mind and into my life of training hard, eating well, recovering well, sleeping well, and really just sort of building a lifestyle around health and wellness. And that was really, you know, eye-opening for me at the time because I didn't know 
really much about nutrition, didn't know much really about how to really strengthen the body and actually build and grow muscles. It was more just, you know, in school, I didn't care. I wanted to just play the sports. I did what I needed to do, you know, to get by uh, lifting wise. But when I hit college, it definitely changed. And, you know, him having that knowledge and background, he was able to pass it on to me and really set a good example for me because he was pushing me and I wanted to learn from him and I wanted to grow and get stronger physically, mentally, emotionally, you know, in every way that I could. And that is really what happened to kind of open the door. And, um, from there, I just started, sort of started going down the rabbit hole and started learning different things that I was interested in and, you know, started discovering things that I felt that could help me at that time and really just sort of piqued my interest. And, you know, about a year into that, there was another situation that really was more of the profound uh, experience that kind of led me down these paths. I had a family member who was going through bouts of depression on and off throughout his life. And one particular winter, it was particularly bad and for him and, you know, he wanted to feel better. Obviously, you know, anyone who's not feeling happy, we all want to feel happy. We all, we all want to feel our best. And so he had never taken any pharmaceuticals for depression or anything like that. But what ended up happening, he went to his doctor and he was put on a medication and he got better a little bit. And like so many other people who take antidepressants, they'll feel better for a little while. And then it sort of just starts going back down to baseline or even worse. And so he would swing up and down. He got changed off and on medications. And it ultimately led to the point to where he took his life. And that was the big awakening for me, my family, and, you know, many people around us. And it started the process for me to start questioning things in medicine uh, not in any skeptical ways initially, uh, that came later, but more, more so just what is this all about? Like, why does someone who's prescribed a pill to make them feel happy end up doing the exact opposite, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, so that, that's where things began. And it really led me to the place where I am now, uh, in many different ways. Um, and it just facilitated that process of awakening to what's real in the, in this natural world mm. of real medicine and things that we can use to help us physically, mentally, and emotionally. Mm. Yeah. I oftentimes hear about pretty similar stories there, Lance. I mean, it's, um, devastating when you see people just following like the, the mainstream narrative or the mainstream, what the mainstream media depicts as like what's considered the the one and only way to do things or the one and only way to sort of treat yourself or suppress symptoms and things like that. So can definitely relate there in terms of um, somewhat being like manipulated by, by the, by the media and the mainstream narrative. But I'm curious to know with yourself, Lance, like, you know, as you started to get more and more interested in, in health and stuff like that, did you, were you someone that was, you know, running a range of different health experiments? Like, do you remember your very first like biohack? <laughs> yeah. So the, the way that I got into it was a little, uh, not, not conventional. So what happened was I started, 
I was in a biology class and this was actually through a community college. I was taking a class uh, on anatomy and physiology and we we're discovering, you know, just doing the basic things, cardiovascular system one week, it was a 15 week summer class. So each week was dedicated to a different topic. And, um, right in the middle of the class, Lucas week eight, it was dedicated to a topic that we're not going to talk about, but it was extremely, uh, volatile and extremely, um, controversial. And it relates mm. to, uh, just different, um, viruses we can say, and basically just the, the medical system as a whole and kind of where those two things tie in together. Again, I have to kind of be roundabout with this, but that is what led me to that process. This was about a year and a half after the passing of my father that it forced me to ask myself the question, okay, what is actually going on? Do I want to believe everything we're being told here in the mainstream, or is there something actually a little bit more sinister, let's say going on now? I'm not someone who believes that, you know, everyone working in the healthcare industry is out to get us. We know that's not true. Most people who go into healthcare, they genuinely want to help. You know, we're in this for the same reasons. We want, we want to help people feel better all around. And I think that's the same for pretty much everyone who goes into healthcare, but we do know there's financial interests, there's power interests, things like that. And so that is where my understanding became crystal clear that I need to question narratives. I need to question the science. I need to question what's actually going on so that I can understand and maybe come to the truth for myself. But then tying into that shortly after that, it got me very interested in these natural solutions. And it was actually Tim Ferriss's book, the four hour work hmm. week, and then the four hour body that opened <laughs> up the whole uh, floodgate. So I think the first thing that I was started to do, he was talking about Ruibos tea. He was talking about slamming six to eight egg yolks, uh, in the morning, every morning. Um, and then, uh, cold, cold baths or ice baths. So back in 2010, 2011, I was starting to do all those things, especially the ice baths and training really hard. I was, you know, strength training and pushing myself. And that's really sort of what opened the door for me. And the, the Ruibos tea as well, I remember specifically, it was like a light bulb literally going off my brain that, okay, I, I had read something that there was a certain amount of amino acids present in Ruibos tea. Now we know like right now, it's a very small amount. It's a tea. There can only be so many amino acids in there, especially volume wise. But the point is it opened my mind to think, oh, there's actually nutrients in the food. That's how we build our bodies. That's where I can actually get maybe some different compounds that I'm looking to build myself or become stronger or become sharper mentally. And so it was Ruibos tea that opened the door for me in that regard. And from there, I just started, you know, really looking into a lot of different things. Shortly after that, I discovered Rhodiola rosea and learned about how the Soviets were using that on their Olympians, their athletes, uh, their scientists, their astronauts, um, you know, so forth. And I started using that in conjunction with my strength training and then learned how the rosevins and the salidricides in there are uh, 
activating nerve growth factor, BDNF, and how that all ties into neurogenesis. So it all sort of just sort of cascaded for me in those, in those ways. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned, um, rooibos tea. I remember the first time that I tried that was actually, I was trying to develop like a sleep stack. And I remember researching rooibos tea as a cortisol inhibitor. Um, and I remember getting deeper quality sleep after using rooibos tea in the afternoon. Cause I believe it's caffeine free. Um, and so that was one of them. And then also, as you mentioned, rhodiola rosea, um, that one there, I have researched extensively over the years um, because, you know, my audience knows that I love talking about adaptogenic herbs and as a naturopath, you know, we learn about adaptogens in the first year of, of university. So it's like, you know, we know adaptog- adaptogens inside out um, and rhodiola rosea was one that really had some pretty outstanding research um, in terms of it um, modulating and um, enabling the body to adapt to various stressful stimuli. Um, so maybe with rhodiola rosea, I'm curious to hear about some of the main effects that you noticed early on. Was it more so endurance, anti-fatigue? Like what did you notice? Yes, absolutely more endurance in the gym, uh, mental endurance, uh, a mental clarity that was like very clear and significant for me. Um, I was taking uh, a tincture form of it and it ended up being, I, I can't quite remember the exact ratio of herb to, to alcohol, but ended up being probably taking four or 500 milligrams a day. Um, <laughs> I was doing the, the glycerate form as well. I did do the alcohol form, but I, I liked the, the sweet taste of the glycerin with it. Um, so it was probably three to 500 milligrams a day, kind of depending on what I was using it for. I would take it before training, uh, right when I'd get to the gym, sometimes I'd take it, you know, right during my workout. And then of course, afterwards too, to help facilitate more blood flow for recovery. And also we know that as an adaptogen, it's not only going to be uplifting, but in the evening time, if you need it to kind of calm down and, uh, just relax yourself. It definitely was doing that too. But the biggest thing that I noticed was endurance in the gym and the ability to just keep going. Like it was, it was very impressive for me. And I was working out with a friend who was, uh, significantly bigger and stronger than I was. And he was even, you know, getting great pumps with it and loving it and, and noticed for sure that it was absolutely helping. My brother started using it, had other friends that started using it as well after that. And you know, in the time that I've worked in this industry over the past 12 years, I've suggested rhodiola rosea to hundreds of people. And really, you, you know, not everyone's going to feel the effects, but I can say overall, a majority of those people have either self-reported or came back to me or someone around us and said, yeah, I actually do feel the rhodiola. A lot of people feel it as an antidepressant. Um, as you know, and it's something that really does help cognitively and physically. Yeah. And also I'd like to add to that. I mean, definitely valid with those points. And then also the, um, an interesting effect that, that rhodiola has is that it can activate the heat shock proteins, um, in the body. So you can get some of the same benefits as like when you, the adaptability effects that you get from jumping into a sauna, which we know sauna usage activates the heat shock proteins. Rhodiola has been shown to to elicit that same effect. And then also on top of that, 
Um, one other benefit that I like about rhodiola is that it can increase liver glycogen storage. Um, now that's obviously going to be beneficial for high intensity activities, long, like longer duration activities, and would probably explain the anti fatigue effect that you get or the um, the endurance enhancement that you get from rhodiola. So it's definitely it's definitely a winner in terms of um, an adaptogen that really does you know assist with energy potentially helping to replace caffeine for some for some users um so definitely you know a big fan of of rhodiola yeah yeah and it's amazing you know there's a book out there the rhodiola revolution written by a couple medical doctors after the soviet union fell as you know lucas a lot of the research well all of it up to the up to a certain point was classified government secrets everyone who was Mm. participating in those studies were sworn to secrecy to not talk about rhodiola because they knew it was a, a definite a definite um, advantage for them in several different ways. Hmm. What about some other? I mean, since you're also you know really passionate about herbal medicine and and plant medicine and adaptogens things like that, Lance. Over the over the years, like what have you gravitated towards? Are there any other particular? Um, medicinal plants or herbal extracts that you've recommended to people or, or seen massive benefit from? Yes. Lion's mane mushroom is one that I've also suggested in conjunction with rhodiola often. I mean, typically for people who are using it for the brain and cognitive health, uh, r- the lion's mane was shortly after rhodiola because I was starting to look into neurogenesis, neuroplasticity, and really wanted to just optimize not only my my body but my brain and my mind so that i could keep learning and just keep absorbing new information and somehow some way i came across nerve growth factor and bdnf and learned what those compounds are and then just naturally started researching okay what are things that i can take that are going to upregulate the production of that and you know lion's mane is one of those things for sure so that was something that I included in the stack. Um, I've been a big fan of uh, holy basil, but been a big fan of the different ginsengs. It sort of depends what a person wants to use it for. Um, uh, Hooperzine A, uh, Chinese club moss. I've loved that as well. Um, ginkgo and gota cola. I've been really drawn to the herbs that are more centered around the brain and mind. Um, mm. and those are the ones that I've really felt good, strong effects for consistently long-term and definitely suggested them for others. And, you know, they've reported good benefits too. Mm. Yeah. You mentioned uh, a few there that I'm very familiar with. Um, one that I'm pretty impressed by and seems to work well for a number of people f- for enhancing short-term memory is Hooperzine A. You mentioned that one there. Um, that one, that one is definitely noticeable. I mean, I actually used that, um, in my last year of university studies to help with memory. Um, and let me see if I can remember what I wrote. Oh no. (laughs) 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 No, Hooperzine A is definitely a, you know, a winning ingredient and it's oftentimes used in various nootropic formulas for a reason. Um, you can feel it and you will notice the the dream recall and the potential for lucid dreaming like that one there. If you use 
in the evening, like you will definitely have a greater ability to lucid dream. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you know, with that, I know that you've talked about this too. Uh, because of of its mechanism, you know, then basically trying to load up in a healthy way, not not overindulging, but getting enough choline in the body, so that mm. you're sort of stacking, taking in choline, and then having that huperzine A to inhibit the breakdown of the acetylcholine and basically just helping that neurotransmitter to stay more active and, and present in the body longer. Hmm. So what about as far as, as, as it goes with like herbal medicine, I mean, you know, we have Western medicine, which, you know, I had plenty of experience in my dad's pharmacy when I was younger. I used to work in a pharmacy. I've seen what it's like to, you know, prescribe medications. I've seen how that's done. I understand that model. Um, in terms of herbal medicine, like what are some of the, the, the reasons why you, you know, you're, you're passionate about herbal medicine. What is it about herbal medicine that, you know, you're impressed by? Um, when I started learning, you know, all these things that we've discussed up to this point, it became clear that nature has so many of our solutions, you know, and these nutrients are found within and so many of these different compounds that you might not be able to synthesize or create in a lab nature is created and the body knows how to respond to them in a way where it's not going to be too much or too little you know there's certainly as we both know many good things that can come from pharmaceuticals uh and also at the same time they can be very potent and the body typically wants to stay in homeostasis. And so if we're over stimulating or giving too strong of a dose of some compound or of a medication, the body then will or can react in a way that may not be as optimal or beneficial. So basically turning to nature to see what is present in that plant or in that herb or that root naturally, what are those compounds? How are they affecting the body? And based on those percentages, is it strong enough to actually have a, a beneficial physiological effect? And what are those effects? So just learning about all the different or many of the different compounds that we find in herbs and roots and barks and leaves and things like that, you can see that nature is designed in a way where it's not just one compound that we're getting typically. I mean, you can extract it and do that, but often we're getting several different compounds and it's sort of like, uh, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, you know, instead of just taking a few different micronutrients or a few different ones that, uh, you know, may stack well together, we can do that, but then also get smaller amounts of some of these other, uh, nutrients, let's say, or different compounds that can be, have an effect that's more synergistic and have it more in a way that's balanced and not going to overstimulate or understimulate the body. Yeah, this is a discussion that I've had as well with a number of other health coaches and practitioners. And, you know, the conclusion that I've come to is that I personally think that herbs are extremely intelligent um, and they also have an innate ability to um, interact with the body. And like you said, with the isolating specific compounds or alkaloids from herbs, 
that's usually when we might run into like potentially side effects. Whereas with um, extracting the whole herb as it's been used traditionally, a lot of the time, you know, these herbs are, are you know, they're, they're, they're like, I guess, extracted in a way that they, they won't elicit such side effects, particularly as it pertains to uh, metabolism and things like that. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of um, the way in which we, you know, we've learned how to extract these these medicines and and apply them to our daily life. Um, in terms of one that we both love, um, we're both big fans of uh, pine pollen tincture. So this is one that I've recommended to many guys for testosterone optimization, for um, libido boost, for waking up with morning wood. Um, Lance, did you want to sort of explain more about pine pollen, what it is and the major benefits? Yes, yes, definitely. So I'll share a little story of how I got into the pine pollen because it actually wasn't all that long ago. I mean, it was probably seven years ago now at this point, but it was at the point in my journey where I had learned a, a great amount up to that point about so many different herbs and roots and just different compounds in general, pharmaceuticals. And I had never even really heard of pine pollen, but the way it came across or, or the way it came about for me is I was looking for nature's highest source of DHEA, dehydroepiandrosterone. And I wanted to see, okay, what, yeah, I could take a pill of it, but what, just out of curiosity, like what's the highest source of it in nature? And so quickly I found that pine pollen is the highest source of that. And so I started learning everything about it. There's 200 plus different nutrients in there, all the amino acids. It's the highest source of DHEA, but also of other brassinosteroids. These are like plant phytoandrogens that can mimic some of the same effects as let's say testosterone or estrogen, uh, and do it in a way where it's not going to burn out the body. I mean, of course, Chinese medicine also does suggest that you do want to cycle on and off of testosterone or off of uh, pine pollen because it does have very strong anabolic effects, but it's something that, you know, it's not like if you take it consistently, it's going to really uh, burn out the body, but the pine pollen, all those different nutrients in there and other things as well, like glutathione, SOD, superoxide dismutase, there's phosphatidylcholine, there's phosphatidylserine, um, there's auxins, there's cytokinins, uh, and those are compounds that are, you know, it starts to get into medical stuff where you're starting to treat things with those compounds. Um, but it also stimulates the body to be anabolic and have a greater ability to self-repair and really have these sort of like anti-aging effects. Um, so when I started learning about it, I wanted to see, okay, this all sounds fantastic and great. What am I going to feel? So I found a good source that I trusted and started taking it. And I felt effects like pretty much right away, you know, within a handful of days, I started to feel more physical energy, more mental energy. I could definitely feel the libido increase. Um, I didn't really have an issue with it, but I definitely felt that there was certainly an increase in that. And it was something significant where I knew that not a lot of people even know about this or knew about it at the time. 
And so I just continued to take it. And it actually, Lucas was the first product that led to the creation of Ascent Nutrition, my company, in that, you know, I wanted to get out there. The, the partner at the time who I started it with, he wanted to get it out there as well. We both knew that pine pollen was something that could help so many people and especially us men. I mean, women ben benefit from it as well, as you know, um, but we wanted to get it out there because we knew that we were feeling the effects and that it was something that just not a lot of people, even in our field and industry knew about and that, you know, the pine and the pine trees, there's sort of this like lore and mystery behind it that us humans were just fascinated with pines, pine trees, pine cones, the forests, the, the like, you know, mystical feel of the forest, the pines in general, the pine needles, there's something about it. And, you know, it's one of those things that we knew that people would gravitate towards it. And that's exactly what's happened. Mm. Yeah. And I'd also like to mention for those listening in, I will make sure to leave a link to, um, the pine pollen tincture that Lance is referring to from Ascent Nutrition. Um, we'll make sure to leave that linked in the podcast show notes. Um, and this particular pine pollen is one that I've, you know, personally looked into for a number of you know months now. And so, what I really want to do is actually outline um, how I got into pine pollen um, back in the day. So I initially found out about pine pollen through another company, which was Lost Empire Herbs. And, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with who they are. Um, that particular product caught my attention because I was also on the hunt for phytoandrogens. So we always, you know, we oftentimes hear about soy being estrogenic um, and it's like mother nature's food source of estrogenic compounds. But, you know, what's the equivalent? There had to be an equivalent for, for men, like a phyto, like a androgenic food. And so that's when I came across pine pollen as like a, as like a really potent androgenic type food. Um, and so a number of people that have tried pine pollen, um, there's like a, you know, pretty strong effect on like morning wood. Um, it was part of my protocol when I was trying to boost my testosterone levels as high as possible naturally. And I got my levels near a thousand nanograms per deciliter. Um, and a number of men who use pine pollen report improvements in energy, mood, um, stamina. Um, and since it's rich in, you know, amino acids and very bioavailable, you know, it's going to be easily assimilated and digested by the body. So um, in terms of your specific pine pollen, um, how are you guys making sure that there's, you know, pristine quality and you're making sure that it's um, a high quality extract? Yeah, it's a great question, Lucas. So uh, what we're doing is we, we don't source from China and, you know, this isn't to put down any other companies because again, we're all in the same mission together to help people. Uh, we know that. Um, but what I wanted to do was create something that was going to stand out from all the others. And not just the pine pollen, you know, the other products that we have and, and eventually got into, we wanted to have it to where it's not just another thing that's out there, but to be able to really differentiate ourselves. So the first thing is we're not sourcing from China. The, the, there's different possible issues with that. We know there's a lot of contamination pollution in China. Of course, you can harvest it or wild harvest it from clean areas. So I'm not just throwing 
all of China under the bus. Like we know that's not entirely true, but there are legitimate toxicity and pollution concerns. We're wild harvesting and hand harvesting in Canada in remote forests that are completely outside of the cities, um, really untouched in Northern Canada. And then what we're doing, one of the biggest differ differentiators is that we are not using crack cell wall pine pollen. Okay. If you go and read about crack cell wall pine pollen, you're going to actually find a lot of information on there saying, this is the best you want it to be crack cell wall. It's a marketing thing. And the reason why is because it does create a little bit more bioavailability, bio but not for all the nutrients, only for the carbs and the starches. But as we know, Lucas, we aren't taking pine pollen to get one gram of extra carbs in our diet. <laughs> like we're not doing that. We're wanting to get all those phytoandrogens, all those amino acids, all those different compounds like SOD and glutathione in our bodies. So we keep it whole cell. We don't crack it. And what this does is it keeps it raw, living and alive, and it does not oxidize. Okay. We've got a blog article on our website where we show, uh, a couple different bins of the powder. One is from China. One is ours. The one from China looks like a, basically a, a, a very light brown color. It's been oxidized and so it's oxidizing continuously minute by minute. Ours, it's literally a golden yellow color. It's kept raw, living alive. We don't crack it. And then what we do to extract it is we use the most unique extraction method in the pine pollen industry. Now there's not that many companies out there, uh, but this is the, the most unique one. We're working with some great naturopaths on this who are chemists and they understand the stuff inside and out. And the way that we're using our alcohol and glycerin and the way that we extract, we get a very potent, strong finished product that's kept raw and alive. And so as it's stored in that alcohol, you take it underneath the tongue, all those compounds directly absorb into the bloodstream and we're going to absorb most of those. Mm, this is a this is a critical point that I like to mention um, in terms of dosage and also administration. You mentioned it needs to be administered under the tongue because it's in liquid format. Is it an alcohol extraction? Yes. Or e ethanol ethanol extraction. So, like in terms of um, the way it's extracted, you know, dumping it under the tongue hits the mucous membranes, enables faster absorption into the bloodstream, bypasses first pass metabolism, avoiding degradation in the stomach. Um, so there's definitely huge benefit of doing so with, with that um, dosage regime. Um, now, as far as, you know, different synergies and different compounds that work well with pine pollen, have you, have you guys explored other complementary products that might work well alongside pine pollen or you've sort of explored some other um, categories of health? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it sort of depends what a person is, uh, trying to do. I I'll finish up with one point, Lucas, cause you made a great point on the, uh, on the alcohol and getting underneath the tongue. And there's, I mean, several different compounds. I mean, really, really all of them, but two in particular that I want to highlight that are extremely important to get into the bloodstream as quickly as possible, which is the glutathione and the SOD. 
if those compounds, as you know, and I'd say probably most, if not all of your listeners know, if you're taking that in a capsule form, and I know that there's different formulas out there, and some will say that there's greater uh, bioavailability, uh, bioavailability and absorption, just outside of that in general, we know the glutathione is going to get broken down. The SOD is going to get broken down. You're not going to be able to use it. So if you can get it into the bloodstream in a tincture format, it will do what it's supposed to do. In terms of complementary products, um, you know, again, I was using it for the libido enhancing effect, the muscle building, and then also the cog cognitive effects. Um, you know, we've looked at a lot of different things, the mushrooms for sure, the lion's mane. Um, we we're big on omega threes. We do uh, an algae source of omega threes that you get those omega threes in combination with all those different nutrients, those 200 plus nutrients in the pine pollen. Uh, we have definitely felt ourselves and so many of our customers have felt a synergistic effect uh, for the brain and cognition and just um, mental energy in general. Um, in terms of like libido and physical endurance and enhancement, obviously beetroot is a good one for that as well. Um, saffron can be a good libido enhancer uh, in combination with the pine pollen, um, sea moss, things like that. Yeah, awesome. So as far as the um, the mushrooms go, I mean, you've mentioned a few there. I mean, I'd love to get stuck into the agaricon mushrooms. Um, when you emailed me, this caught my attention because, you know, you were saying that it's got some pretty impressive research. So first of all, do you want to explain to my audience, what is agar agaricon mushroom? Yeah. So the Latin name, there, there's two Latin names because it's since changed, but it's Fomatopsis officinalis or uh, Larisophomus officinalis. And this is a mushroom that primarily grows in the Pacific Northwest of the U.S. and up into Canada. Uh, it does grow, grow throughout Europe as well uh, and various other places in small, small isolated parts of the world. But this mushroom, it's called the quinine conch, and it will grow really on trees like Douglas firs, spruces, uh, trees like that. But it ends up being one of the longest living, if not the longest living uh, fruiting body mushroom in nature. So these conchs literally can grow to be sometimes two or three or four feet big, I mean, massive conchs of mushrooms. These fruiting bodies will be on the trees in the old growth forests, and they can live up to 70 years old. I'm sure there's some out there that we haven't even found that are older than that, but they've found mushrooms of the agaricon 50 to 70 years old now going back into more of like the lore of it the uh, indigenous cultures would use this for uh, immune and respiratory uh, conditions but also they believe it had strong spiritual effects and like spiritually protective effects they they believe that so what they would do is the shamans would place the conchs over their graves and they'd carve faces into them and they believe that would help protect them in the afterlife against, you know, evil spirits or demons, you know, things like that, whatever they, you know, believed in. And people in general too, would even take little chunks of it and keep them in their home 
because they felt that it was going to help them. Now, fast forwarding to today, back after 9-11, the U.S. Department of Defense had a program called Biodefense BioShield. They were working with the NIH and the NIAID, and they wanted to basically test and see were there natural compounds or pharmaceuticals that could be extremely potent against different viruses and bacteria, things that could be used as, as basically weapons, we could say. Um, and you know, that was at the time of, uh, anthrax and things like that. So they were very interested in antidotes and this study took place. There was 200,000 different samples submitted, many pharmaceuticals, many herbs, many mushrooms, and just natural compounds. Uh, long story short, the information was not supposed to get out there, but it did. Uh, it got out there through Paul Stamets. Many people know who he is. He submitted the Agaricon samples, different strains of it. And some of those strains were off the charts in terms of its antiviral and antibacterial properties. And so then they started isolating some of the compounds, did more research. There's a lot more to the story, you know, that's more dramatic than this, but um, like his compound was sworn by Black Hawk helicopters. The U.S. government didn't know who he was at the time per se. I mean, they knew who he was, but they didn't know, did he have an antidote to different <laughs> uh, biological weapons? What was going on? You know, it was more just that the agaricon mushroom is so strong against some of these viruses that it was very interesting to the U.S. government at the time and still is. But now that the information's out there, um, it's become a little less volatile and, you know, people in general can use this. And so I had learned about this. I've been taking it for a long time myself. And I knew that this is a, a mushroom that not many people know about or even knew about. And it's one that's very important, especially right now for respiratory immune and just overall detoxification that we wanted to get it out there. Um, I mean, this stuff's so strong, Lucas, that it's actually effective against something called neurotoxin VX, which is an illegal chemical weapon. Now, we aren't going to come across that in our everyday life, of course, but it just shows you how potent that stuff is and what it can do. And there's research out there at a TB Institute in Chicago uh, that these compounds, Kumarans, they're potentially effective against things like that. Now, obviously I'm not claiming that our product is going to do that, but you can find the research out there. It does exist. And there's a lot more that we should be doing because of, you know, what's already there. Yeah. I mean, this sounds like a a pretty robust mushroom. I mean, we've seen a lot of research on reishi mushroom as it pertains to immune health. And that also has some spiritual, like, they, they say it has spiritual effects. When I used reishi mushroom many, many years ago, unfortunately, I had to stop using it because it was a, a potent DHT blocker. But when I used reishi back in the day, I remembered getting more like um, deja vu moments. Like I just remembered almost like tripping out in a sense that I, I felt like I'd been there, done that before. And I kept getting those moments on reishi mushroom. But as far as agaricon goes, I mean, I think – you know, we'll make sure to leave links to some of the research studies in the podcast show notes because I, I you know, I'm sure there's some pretty robust 
immunological uh, research papers that might, you know, demonstrate some of the antiviral benefits of this particular mushroom. And, you know, a lot of these mushrooms have immune boosting benefits. Like you, you go on iHerb or you check out like, you know, if you type in immune supplement, like there's a pretty good chance it's going to have like either echinacea or like some sort of mushroom in the formula. So this will be brand new to my audience. And I, I think they're going to be really finding this, you know, pretty fascinating. Again, this will be another one that I'll leave linked in the show notes for those listening in. Um, I'll leave a link to Lance's um, agaricon mushroom in the show notes. But um, as far as like dosages are concerned um, and, and applications, I mean, did you want to sort of elaborate when it should be taken and also what sort of dosages? Yeah, so a typical dose is about two grams. Uh, two grams a day is good. Obviously, if, if, if a person is uh, struggling with something or, you know, they're not feeling their best immune system wise, you can definitely dose up more. Uh, mushrooms in general are safe, um, even long term. In terms of what we've got, it's a powdered form. So we're doing both. Okay, so agaricon, you can't extract like you can't use the fruiting body okay so that as we know lucas there's this whole there's many different arguments on mushroom products fruiting body mycelium all this stuff agaricon you can only use the mycelium that's where all these different constituents are at and so we like you can't just like it's an endangered mushroom it's very rare and so even if you find it out in the wild and you pluck it off of a tree uh, you would not want to do that. But even if you did, the most you could do with it is make a tea from it and you'd get nominal amounts of these compounds. The way that it's really done is scientists will take a syringe, they'll extract from the fruiting body, and then they'll culture it and then start to grow it uh, on you know oats or brown rice, some sort of medium that's then going to create a mycelial base where all these different constituents can proliferate and grow and become, you know, more potent. So the agaricon, it's a powdered form. What we do, Lucas, is it's grown organically, of course, but we're self-selecting for the strongest strains of this agaricon, even before we're growing. And we're continuously doing this. So it's not just like we're taking one strain and that's what we're using for life. We're making sure that each new batch that we produce we're first genetically testing to make sure that this strain is optimized just in nature from a way to give it the best chance possible to become the best, you know, just like any other, you know, farmer would do for any other plant, you want it to give it the best shot. We do that. And then we grow it about four to six weeks longer than most other people. We can do that because we're not in any rush to uh, get it out there, you know, for, other companies, they've had the good problem of becoming so popular that they have to keep producing the product so fast. Now, ours is uh, popular and growing for sure, but we are able to maintain our consistency and the growing schedule with it, where as we grow it longer, those compounds become more concentrated and actually grow in the percentages. And so what we do is we test at the end and our bioactive constituent levels, the percentages are consistently higher than others. Um, again, I'm not putting down other companies, nothing like that. Just we're able to do what we do. 
and we're very happy with our end result. And what you can see, this is like a visual representation. This isn't proof per se, but this is a visual representation of exactly what I am saying, which is that our powder, our Agaricon and the lion's mane that we've got, it's a darker powder than others out there. The biggest reason for that is because we're growing it longer, it becomes more rich in some of these compounds and the color can change in a way where it's just darker in general. And it's showing that it has higher percentages of some of these compounds. Yeah. Awesome. So I guess, um, the main thing there is around sourcing with medicinal mushrooms. This is a really important point because, you know, you sort of outlined, there's a pretty big debate around, um, you know, the mycelium versus the fruiting body. Um, and, and in this case, you know, you guys have put the effort in to identify which one is actually superior in terms of medicinal effect. And so, um, from what it sounds like you guys have made sure to select the most potent form of this particular medicinal mushroom. And this is something that I've also experienced myself with playing around with different medicinal extracts. I mean, no two herbs are created equal. The same would, ap would apply with, um, with m medicinal mushrooms or the fungi. Um, they're just not equal. It depends upon how they're extracted, the key constituents that are present, um, you know, I've used cordyceps mushroom quite a lot over the years and I've tried different cordyceps products on the market. Um, and you know, some of them just don't feel as potent as the other ones. Um, so this is a critical point for my audience to listen in product quality really does matter. Like it does matter when it comes to supplementation, medicinal plants, herbal extracts, and you know, you get what you pay for. Like you go on Amazon, you type in like, you know, like cordyceps mushroom, don't select the cheapest option. It's just not going to be effective. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Lucas, I can truthfully tell you this and tell your audience this too. Like I've learned so much from you and your website. We share so much in common, but one thing in particular on this note is the sourcing of things. Going back mm. to the pine pollen, you know, yeah, I could go out and buy just a pill of DHEA and yes, it will work. But I was very interested, what is nature producing and what what's there just naturally and ab above and beyond that, okay, it's in pine pollen. Well, what's the best source of the pine pollen? How do I know that this company is better than this or why is this one better than this? And it's that research that we all have to do to put in a little bit more time because, you know, just like you said, you type in cordyceps and you're going to get dozens, I mean, even more than that of companies that are selling cordyceps. So how do you even choose what's the best? Well, you know, there's a lot of questions we can ask. What are the different constituent levels? Uh, how is it grown? What's the medium on which it's grown? All the different questions that are important. And that's been one of the biggest things for me in finding these different nutrients in these supplements and these herbs and things like that, because I quickly learned, well, okay, there's a dozen different rhodiolas I mean, at the, at the time, as an example, either more for sure, but, um, how do I know what's, what's best? And so I learned, okay, I have to ask the right questions. I have to look for certain things. And this is what I have done and what we do at Ascent Nutrition is really source the best and produce the best that we can. And we're always improving, you know, we're, we're not every single thing that we, uh, you know, 
say is going to be, you know, the best top notch at the moment. We're always improving, but we do have things that are the cleanest out there in their categories. We do have things out there that, you know, in our view and many of our customers and, you know, people like yourself, scientists who we work with, they confirm what we have said, which is, you know, this is either the cleanest one out there. This is the strongest one. This is the purest. However, you know, we're kind of differentiating. Um, and that's our angle on these things is we want to make it clean and pure for people because at the end of the day, what's the point in spending money on a natural product that we want to help us, but it's not as clean as possible. And, you know, again, we know that there's different manufacturing processes and sometimes not everything can be as clean as we want, but if we can get it to the point to where it is as clean as possible, why not offer that? And then as a consumer, even myself, I want to put in my body the cleanest possible thing that I can. And so that's where all my research led to, you know, over these past 12 years to get to this point, to launch a scent nutrition of putting out the cleanest that we can. And when we aren't as clean as we can, we have a roadmap and a plan for getting to be the cleanest that we possibly can offer out there. Yeah. Now, this is a critical message for those listening in. I mean, product quality is essential, you know, in the supplement industry, even, you know, health devices, things like that. It's really, really important to look at that. Um, one final point was around, uh, you mentioned before, Lance, which was CMOS. Um, now, this is one that I've, I've already done a podcast on, but I think it would be worthwhile bringing to the forefront again because uh, CMOS is pretty popular on YouTube and some other social media platforms as a as like a cure-all sort of thing. Like they, there's often described as a potent medicine. Um, did you want to explain to my audience what is CMOS and what are some of the benefits? Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's a moss from the sea as, as the name suggests, but what that means is it's an algae and it's a plant that grows in the sea. And because it's in the sea, it accumulates 92 different minerals of the hundred plus minerals that us humans need. Now, you know, mm -hmm. every product or, or, uh, sea moss out there is probably will differentiate in the percentages of those minerals, but in general, it's around 90 plus different minerals. There's, uh, different vitamins. There's different amino acids in there. There's small amounts of fatty acids in there as well. So it's more like a, a food we could say. Um, and that's how some people, uh, describe it because it's giving a lot of different nutrients, but it really became popular as you know, Lucas, through a, a man named Dr. Sebi. He was a doctor that was, um, not a medical doctor, but he was more of like a naturopathic doctor along those lines working in, um, I think it was central America and he was treating a lot of different famous people and celebrities with serious conditions. And his big thing was always CMOS. I mean, he would suggest many different herbs and foods and things like that, of course, and practices but CMOS was always his big thing. And his viewpoint on it was that it's helping the body to shift to more of an alkaline state. And again, I know that's a whole topic we could go into. We won't go into it, but it's, uh, in general people, there's information out there on it. 
whether a person believes in that or not doesn't matter for this conversation. The point is that Dr. Sebi believed that the sea moss would help dry up mucus in the body. And he, his belief was that mucus was one of the main causes or sources of illness in that the sea moss could dry up the mucus and it could help many different conditions that a person was going through. So, um, sea moss in general, it can be thermogenic, uh, because of the different nutrients in there. I mean, there's, a, it's a f decent source volume wise of iodine, uh, you know, manganese, many other different minerals. Uh, but people feel effects weight loss wise or, or just fat loss. Of course, we know it's not just going to be sea moss. They need to stack it with exercise timing of eating their overall diet in general. Um, but again, it was one of those things that he would suggest basically to everyone. He's no longer living at the moment or he passed over, I think four or five years ago and, um, his legacy has continued and CMOS is something that a lot of people know about. What we have done is we've put it into a capsule form. It's organic. And then we combine it with organic bladder rack, which is another uh, algae, uh, another good source of iodine. And then we also stack it with organic burdock root. And a lot of people know, especially in Europe and Eastern Europe, burdock root is touted as, um, uh, you know, a very, very strong root that, you know, in, in different medicine practices, they will use it as a treatment for different things or part of a treatment or, or program to treat something. Now, again, we're not saying it's going to treat things, uh, but that's what different naturopathic practices and uh, programs use it for. Yeah, I'd love to expand upon the the burdock root and also the bladder rack. I mean, so looking at those two, first of all, bladder rack, we learned in naturopathy school is like the, um, you know, a useful medicine for sluggish metabolism or, or a low thyroid or hypothyroidism. Um, and so that's, you know, pretty well known to enhance the conversion of T4 to T3, the active thyroid hormone. And since CMOS is, you know, a relatively good source of iodine, I'd imagine there'd be some other constituents found within CMOS that would probably help with thyroid output um, similar to, coleus forscolin that's another you know thyroid stimulant and then looking at burdock root i actually got interested in burdock root when i was looking for compounds that could assist with lymphatic drainage or um cleansing the lymphatic system and burdock root was one of those roots that had some you know that was had a strong affinity towards the lymphatic system and so we know that it's important to regularly help to detoxify um, or assist with detoxification. And then also, funnily enough, I came across some research on burdock uh, demonstrating testosterone-boosting effects as well um, in rodents, at least. Um, so that was pretty cool to look at that sort of secondary byproduct side effect if you <laughs> if you look at it like that. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. I didn't know that about the burdock for the testosterone. That's really cool. Mm. But it's not surprising, you know, it's it's used for so many different things and it's been used for so long that, uh, you know, it, it probably, I mean, clearly it does, but it does make intuitive sense that it has that sort of effect. Yeah. It actually reminds me to, um, 
create some more content around the benefits of burdock root because it's such an underrated herb. Uh, I remember it had some other pretty cool effects on uh, mitochondrial biogenesis, so assisting with mitochondrial function. Um, so I'll make sure to we'll make sure to leave that linked in the um, in the show notes. The Irish sea moss um, that you guys have formulated with a bladderwrack and burdock root. Um, and then you guys have also released a pretty cool formula, which is a the humic fulvic acid blend. Did you want to sort of explain how that sort of fits into the picture? Yeah. So if you take organic matter in in nature, and it's, it ends up being the, the the final product of the breakdown of organic matter and materials. So decomposed animals and this is like over hundreds of thousands or millions of years so it's not just like a couple year process plants roots leaves bark stems everything that's in the natural world and this is a big geologic process so again it's not just even happening in in topsoil i mean it it can and it does in some ways but it's it's a, a greater process that's happening and around the world, there's different deposits where this sort of, uh, geologic alchemy is happening, where matter is transformed from one state into another over hundreds of thousands or millions of years. And the end result, Lucas, is the hyper concentration of all these different nutrients broken down into, uh, a, a complex known as humic acids, fulvic acids, and then they bind and they can carry different nutrients, especially minerals. So a lot of people know about shilajit. Shilajit is loaded in humic and fulvic acids. Same concept of in the Himalayas or the Altai Mountains, where those often those are sourced from. Humic and fulvic, we source it from the soil, a soil-based uh, form of it. But because it's got all that genetic material of all these different organic uh, compounds in nature, it's hyper concentrated. And what it what results is it ends up being a super, super potent polyphenol, or an antioxidant free radical scavenger, all, all the same. And fulvic acid as an example, and this comes from a, a man named Dr. Daniel Newsom, this stat, Fulvic acid contains 14 tetratrillion electrons that it can either donate or receive. So it is uh, one of nature's strongest antioxidants. Some say it's the strongest. And 14 tetratrillion, as an example, is 14 with 21 zeros behind it. So it's super potent in its ability to uh, bind to free radicals. Uh, it can bind to different heavy metals. We know that for sure. A lot of this is uh, on PubMed and, and most of this stuff is done in the soil sciences, some on humans and some on animals. Um, but it's relatively new in terms of studies for us humans, but it's definitely safe. We've been consuming it in the foods. If we're growing food organically in good, clean soil, that's been there for a long time, it's going to naturally be present or it's going to naturally contain humic and fulvic acids. Uh, but fulvic acid's role in the soil is to help chelate or, or shuttle uh, minerals in to the plant roots and help those plants uptake some of those, those nutrients. So us humans, when we take it in, it's going to bind to heavy metals. It can 
actually neutralize some radioactive material and literally annihilate it and bring it to zero. It can neutralize some pesticides, not all, but some. Um, and its ability to just detox as well as carry nutrients into cells at the same time is unparalleled. Um, that same doctor gave a great analogy. It's like the garbage man and the mailman at the same time. It's taking out the waste, it's shuttling in the nutrients. As terms of effects for us humans, we will feel greater energy levels or we can feel greater energy levels physically. Uh, a lot of people feel it cognitively. There's research out there on Alzheimer's and tau proteins, specifically on fulvic acid and its ability to uh, chelate, chelate slash neutralize those tau proteins. Um, a lot of that people relate to uh, mercury and different heavy metal toxicity. Um, but in general, it can bind to those things. And humic acid is extremely potent in terms of its antiviral activity. You can find this on PubMed. I'm not going to name the different ones because I don't want you know your channel to get uh, looked at, but you can find out there humic acid binds to different um, protein receptors, let's say, that are um, uh, spiky, we could say. And it, uh, you know, it's, it's doing different things that relates to that sort of conversation. And I'll just mm. leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, um, great stuff with the humic and fulvic acid. I mean, I, I always learned about it in the context of, um, yeah, shilajit. And then also, um, one of my favorite herbal medicine teachers or naturopaths, uh, Matt Legg, shout out to Matt Legg. If he listens to this podcast, um, he actually, uh, educated me on the fact that these humic and fulvic acids can enhance the absorption of other herbs. So if you use the humic and fulvic acids alongside any other herbal extract, it should actually uh, drive it into the cell and make it more effective. Um, so definitely a big fan of humic and fulvic acid. Um, that pretty much wraps up today's podcast. Lance, thank you so much for coming on the show I'll make sure to leave uh, everything that you mentioned linked in the podcast show notes. Um, but before you go, Lance, was there any final words maybe you wanted to sort of share with my listeners or any final messages? Um, well, thanks for having me on, Lucas. This was a great conversation. I was really looking forward to it because we're on the same page with so many things and we, we both are very interested in the nuances of things, the different compounds. I love geeking out on this stuff. I know you do too. Uh, again, like I've learned a lot from you and, and your podcast and your website and all that. Uh, in terms of a final message, uh, just I want to thank everyone for listening and uh, just spread the information. You know, I got into this not from a business angle. This has only been just the past four years. Uh, I got into this again to help people to relieve suffering. You know, I have seen it. We've all seen people suffer. We've all suffered in our own ways whether it's small or big ways, we all want to be healthier and happier. And, you know, it's this sort of information that I've spent so much of my time reading and listening and learning. And so it's a, a, an honor and a privilege to be able to share this with you and your audience and get this out there to more. And I hope that it helps people uh, even in, in a small way. 
Yeah, awesome. No, I really appreciate you coming on the show. And um, yeah, we definitely align in terms of our mission and, and vision there. So yeah, thanks again for coming on the show, Lance. Um, and for those listening in, again, a reminder, if you wanted to check out some of the products that Lance has talked about, make sure to leave those linked in the show notes and be sure to please review this podcast. We're actually looking at driving up the reviews for my podcast. So please be sure to leave a five-star review. Um, but otherwise, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. 